TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. I'm Carrie Hayes, one of the founders and advisors to Just City. Welcome to The Permanent Record. In an era in which allegations of fake news are rampant, journalists are increasingly under attack, and the media industry is going through unprecedented and unpredictable upheavals in its business model, we felt an obligation to dig into exactly how the news gets made and who is making it. We know that the press is playing a growing role in shaping public perception of our neighborhoods and cities, which in turn shapes policies that govern everything from the severity of criminal sentences to the conduct of law enforcement to the support we provide to those who come into contact with the criminal justice system. In a special series of episodes of The Permanent Record, we'll be interviewing the interviewers and looking at the unique role that the media plays in covering the criminal justice system, and in some cases, even creating that system. Eric Barnes is the publisher and CEO of The Daily News, a media organization that publishes papers in Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, and Chattanooga. He is also the host of Behind the Headlines, a popular local public affairs roundtable program on which board members and staff of Just City have appeared numerous times to discuss criminal justice policy. We invited Eric to be on the permanent record to hear his views on how and why local papers should cover crime and public safety, the future of publishing, and the competing agendas of elected officials, reform advocates, the corporate community, and an independent free press. Eric Barnes, thank you for being on the permanent record. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me here. So uh, as we've discussed, this is uh, one of a series of sort of special episodes of the Permanent Record that we're doing where we're talking to figures in uh, local and national media about uh, how they cover crime and public safety and criminal justice reform and other things that are that are sort of germane to the Just City mission. But I wanted to start uh, by having you sort of talk a little bit about yourself and your sort of arrival to Memphis. How, who, who are you? What do you, what's, what do you do? How did you get here? <laughs> I, I'm still figuring that out. Um, but I did. I moved here about 22, 23 years ago. Uh, I worked at Towery Publishing, which Bob Towery was the founder of Memphis Magazine and the Flyer, and had gotten out of that business. And so my first seven years in Memphis, because Towery Publishing did work all around the country, I was, and I had little kids. I really wasn't very focused on Memphis. It was a nice place to live, but I wasn't following politics. I wasn't following really a whole lot of that kind of stuff because I had little kids and I was traveling a lot and working in other places. Um, Towery went under in 2002, and not long after, I'd I'd struck up a conversation with Peter Scutt, whose family's owned the Daily News forever. And at the time, it was kind of a little legal paper, five days a week, 125 years old but not really what he wanted it to be. And he'd gotten distracted in a good way by some other business opportunities. So we talked around and around and, and he wanted to do a lot more with his paper. And so I started there basically in December of 2002. And um, we began to build up staff, began to you know make it a niche paper, but focus a lot on business and more and more on politics. And then a big change for us was, was when Bill Drees joined us, you know, Bill had been at WREG, one of the original and really one of the last serious radio news people, not just a news reader, but an actual reporter. And he left the CA and got a little bit, you know, frustrated with some of the stuff that was going on there. And that was the beginning, you know, of the, of the cuts at the CA. And so I think CA being the commercial appeal for anybody that might be. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, a Scripps Howard paper and, you know, we're talking probably 2000, 
in six or so. I'm not great with dates, which is a problem when you're a publisher. Um, but yeah, we, we started to do more politics. And even before Bill joined us, we tried to cover politics and government in a very nonpartisan way. I mean, that was always my mission. You know, we didn't do opinion pages. We just kind of wanted to call, you know, do a dumb sports analogy, sort of balls and strikes of what happened at council, what mm-hmm. happened at commission. You missed some nuance. You missed some things. But that was always our philosophy. Bill took it to another level because he had so much history. I mean, Bill's kind of a walking, you know, encyclopedia of Memphis politics. But he is very much a, a guy who calls it down the middle. Yeah. And he has this like uh, amazing uh, instant complete recall of everything that's ever happened in Memphis. <laughs> yeah, I do. For people not from Memphis, I do a show on th- our local public television station, a weekly news roundup show. We do interviews. We do the mayors. We do, you know, sometimes just a journalist roundtable. And I can always turn to Bill and say, well, Bill, give us the background on that. And he'll go back to some court order in 1968 yeah. and how that was revised <laughs> by the feds, you know, and put all that stuff in context. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to the whole point about journalism – that's the kind of journalism we try to do. We're small. You know, we have got a newsroom of eight, you know, including the editors, um, plus a freelance budget. As the Metro, our Metro paper, you know, as scripts now, a Gannett paper, um, have cut back, we've gotten bigger. You know, it's sort of, you know, bigger by subtraction given yeah. the changes our competition. And we'll talk a little bit about the difference, you know, where you guys sort of fit into the marketplace and, and, and how you differentiate yourself from some of the other outlets. But your your product at the Daily News is a is is five days a week, uh, and then a, and then a weekly sort of digest edition. Is that yeah yeah we, and yeah a, and a digital presence that's sort of ongoing constantly. Yeah. But our our digital well, you know the, traditionally we're a, what, what is known as a court and commercial newspaper, and they actually exist or existed in almost every city, and they started as really just a the printing of the court records. You know, so who bought a house, who you know got divorced, who got married. Um, there's old versions of the Daily News that has the register of who checked into the downtown hotels. That was all public oh record. My. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I mean, yeah, a, you know, a, a, if only a, an identity an identity theft nightmare right there. But um, so so they and some of them just became maybe legal journals. Some of them became real estate. You know, here's what's going on in real estate. We we are a little bit of an anomaly where we became in our way a full blown niche newspaper covering business, politics, the economy community, nonprofits, and other things I like to cover. And um, so, we, we, but that was a five-day five a week printed paper. We then, of course, go online. And now we are much more of an online presence. We still do a daily printed edition, mm-hmm. but it's a very small number. But our, our online presence, and this is a great thing about, you know, internet's been bad for newspapers from a business model point of view, but for small papers, you know, if you come to the Memphis Daily News on a given day, we look like the big paper in town. Mm-hmm. I mean, a bigger paper ostensibly even than the commercial appeal, again, our, our big metro. Not most days, but some days. Sure. And your title is, is what? I am publisher and CEO. Okay. And, and, and take us through a day in the life of what your role is in terms of getting – making the news. I mean, I think that's that one of the things I wanted to do with these is sort of demystify – yeah. Exactly what it takes before the paper arrives at my doorstep or whatever, what, what, that, what that process is. What it looks like now is I get a daily lineup from our editorial staff that we just – we have great editors. And so I'm not as directly involved in the daily lineup as I used to be. I mean we've sort of set a mission and set a tone of what we want to do and the mix of stories we want. We have great reporters who cover their beat areas. So we mentioned Bill Drees who covers a lot of things, but generally politics and government. We've got a guy who covers real estate. We've got a person who covers, you know, um, finance and 
uh, ad, ad agencies and, you know, healthcare, all the business kind of stuff, a guy who covers sports and a guy who covers nonprofits and philanthropies. And then we've got freelancers who are constantly pitching stories to us who now that we have our kind of identity, they generally are in the mix of what we want. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's a little more clockwork because of the way we do things. Um, and then you have, you know, last minute stories or you have some sort of breaking news and that kind of blows everything up. You and I know, I mean, as we're taping this, um, uh, the local College of Art announces yesterday that they're going to close. Well, that blows up everybody's morning and, you know, you're scrambling to, you get a press release on that. Then you're trying to get people to comment on it. You're trying to get to the deeper story. But we are a daily paper and in, even at a small paper, you're trying to get that out. Everybody's mm-hmm. trying to get their breaking news alerts out first. So we're trying to beat the other papers in town. And so there's a real competition thing that, that drives what's happening sure. um, on any given day. Um, and a competition um, for, for readers, for ad dollars. I mean, that's a, that's, yeah. that's a real fight. That's a real thing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. one of the things that I've sort of noticed in the last, I don't know, five or ten years is that there's, you know, to the degree that we're sort of a tale of two cities, we're also sort of becoming a tale of two countries where you have uh, a lot of the sort of, you know, national conversation about what's happening with the media tends to focus on these really overperforming high growth markets like Denver and Austin and the Bay Area and, and, and the coast. But in my opinion, in my experience, you have a lot more cities that resemble Memphis, right? Slow growth, uh, stagnant economies, uh, tax bases. Right. Holding, if not shrinking a little bit, uh, which is sort of this missing middle part of this conversation. So so talk a little bit about um, sort of the state of the business from that, from, from, from your chair. I mean, how do you, how do you make money? What is the business model for a paper of your size in a market of the, of the size? Yeah. You know, we make money in a, in a mix of ways, but uh, we are free. We do pretty well with digital advertising. We do less and less well with printed advertising, and mm-hmm. that's that's pretty true across the board for for newspapers of all shapes and sizes. There's a kind of movement out there that that people don't believe in newsprint, and that's in contrast to say city magazines across the country, including in in Memphis, that are actually doing really quite well, and in some cases very well. Print isn't dead at all for city magazines. In some cases, business city based business magazines. But newsprint is – there's just a real antipathy among the ad-buying um, ad agencies that that's just not a great place to advertise. <clears throat> Online advertising is really way too cheap. We actually get pretty good prices for ours because we're such a niche paper. But um, you know, you're, you're up against a real problem when you think about online advertising. 85% of online advertising dollars go to Facebook and Google and the rest of us fight for wow. it. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just and, – and they, they are very low-cost low advertising because mm-hmm. they're so targeted on Facebook and so on and on Google. To me, and this is a big thing that we're looking at, we're a free paper online, um, which has been great from a business model point of view because we've sort of been a thorn in the side of other the, – particularly the big daily in town um, who has, has had a what they call a very leaky paywall. Mm-hmm. But now under Gannett is starting to make it a tighter paywall. People hate paywalls, but I think as a business model, that's where papers like us are going to be. And a paywall being there's a there's a, a several different types, but generally speaking, there's some. I've got to I've got to take my credit card out at some point if I yeah. want to get, right. get the content. Right. right. New, New York Times right now, and again, they're so different because I mean they're not really a metro paper; they're a national newspaper. But just to harp on them for a second, you know, you you pay, you get a couple of free articles a month, and then you're going to pay, mm-hmm. and you're going to pay at the high end. 
and I'm a New York Times addict, so I pay about 30 bucks a month mm-hmm. for digital access on all my devices. And I don't get the print edition because I just, I just, I love the print edition, but I just don't get it. I'm too impatient. And I think that's the trend. Boston Globe, which again is more of a, re- a big city paper, but is a, still a city paper, a traditional metro paper. They tightened up their paywall. They sort of bit the bullet because part of the economics of this is um, newspapers were very scared by putting up the paywall would dr- drive down their traffic. And everybody was traffic obsessed mm-hmm. because they were selling advertising. But they their traffic went way down, but their paid subscriptions went way up. Mm-hmm. Philly.com, which is a conglomeration of the Philadelphia papers, they saw they, – they went to a tight paywall of I, – I can't remember, but it's 10 or 15 bucks a month. Their traffic went down 25 percent, but their rate of adoption, the rate of signups on the paywall was four or five times what they expected. Yeah. And that's real – everyone's kind of staggering towards – are we really going to do this? Are we really going to do this? Are yeah. we really going to charge for our content? Which is, I'm old enough to remember, you're old enough to remember when I used to pay, always pay for my news content in print. I mean, it was sure. no big deal. It's <laughs> right. just, we've had 10 or 15 years where we've trained an entire generation. There's, there's coins going to a metal box yeah. on the side of the street. But, my my yeah. New York Times subscription, my digital subscription now is about 300, 350 bucks a year. When I lived in New York 25 years ago, I had student loans, a low paying job. And I spent, I figured it out, buying the print edition, I spent about $300, $350 a year. Sure. And that, so, I mean, it's just, it was foolish. Don't get me started. It was foolish on the part of publishers to give that content away for so long. And now there's an unwinding of that. Yeah. And the question is, do you have content good enough after all the cuts at local papers, content good enough and rich enough and de- deep enough that you can actually charge? For yeah. It? Particularly, I mean, I think this is another one of those things that, that could be, and and not to cities like Memphis could be late to that unwinding, right? Because all the examples you just mentioned, Boston, Philadelphia, New York, I mean, those are those are big markets, uh, lots of people, yeah. you know, lots of market share to go around. I think it will maybe take a little bit longer for that to be implemented here. Maybe, I would, maybe not. I mean, Gannett has a pretty clear plan. You know, Gannett has rolled up a whole lot of newspapers around the country. They've got the three biggest, three of the four biggest metro, four of the five biggest metro areas in Tennessee that's, mm-hmm. They are putting a hard paywall in bit by bit and really trimming back. And you and I see it, but I, anybody listening knows this, that they, they are pretty aggressive about making it paid content. Yeah. Um, so the, the big chains may force that in markets like Memphis quicker than people think. Yeah, yeah. So to, to that point, where let's talk a little bit about where you guys fall in the landscape and, and particularly as it relates to crime and, and, and public safety coverage and uh, – the sorts of things that Just City is interested in, which is which is getting sort of a new narrative out of, around criminal justice in in Shelby County. What what do you guys do in that space? Where do you see uh, a unique niche for yourselves uh, relative to? You mentioned the Commercial Appeal, which is our big Metro Daily paper, the Memphis Flyers, an alternative weekly, uh, the Memphis Business Journal is a weekly sort of business publication. I, I could go on, but but where where do you guys fall in that landscape? We cover. Um, we cover criminal justice. We cover changes in the sheriffs, the the courts, um, the police director. You know, police strategies. Um, we what we probably the most important thing we do, I think, when it comes to crime, is we don't cover last night's murder. Mm-hmm. So we don't do a police blotter of you know this of, of ten things that that the ten most horrific things that got some attention in Memphis last night. And is that an intentional choice? Is that a product Absolutely. of resources? Really? Absolutely. Okay. Totally, it is completely, and it is, if nothing, there are lots of reasons for it, but it just starts with me. I find that kind of coverage completely useless. 
Um, and I really think now I, I always was offended by it in a way that I, I struggled, didn't even necessarily try to articulate. I was publisher, so I got to say what we we're going to cover and not just honestly. Um, there's way less science to this than you might think. Um, <laughs> secrets out. Yeah, the secrets out. But the um, the then as I got more and more into what we were doing and more opportunities and we got bigger and people really there was a really I mean we are a niche paper I don't want to say we aren't but the reception to what we've done to be kind of we're going to be high minded intelligent you know sort of the public TV model of approach to news where we're going to go deep on things we're going to talk about things. Um, we're not just going to hit, you know, the, the stories and not follow up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started thinking about that relative to crime, and now there's a whole lot of conversation about how crime is covered by newspapers and especially by local TV news. I mean, it's incredibly irresponsible on their part. And one of the best examples, I think, was irresponsible on the part of, of whom? Of the publishers, because you're 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 you know you're you're putting this this mugshot. Of almost, you know, a vast majority of the time, an African American face mm-hmm. that who some sort of horrific thing happened, but with no context or background. And I'm not trying to defend the horrific thing that happened, but all that does, and it's got a headline on it that says "murder in Midtown," which is an area of Memphis, or you know, murder in Uptown, or murder murder in East Memphis. Mm-hmm. So everyone in that neighborhood, Midtown is a massive area, as you and I know, and this there's a Midtown in virtually every other city. Everyone in that in that neighborhood now starts to fear fearful mm-hmm. as if this person, this face, this, this awful looking, you know, mugshot face is, is it could come after them. Yeah. What comes out later is, and I'm not saying it's not a tragedy and I'm not saying it's not worth reporting on, but it's probably a domestic violence in, incident or, and, or it's a drug incident and, or it's uh, gang related. So everybody in Midtown who isn't, in a relationship with or a family with a domestic abuser or doesn't do drugs or associate people with do drugs and sell drugs and isn't in as a gang, doesn't have anything to worry about from that guy. Yeah. But none of that gets reported. Instead, it gets everybody fearful. Everybody thinks they need to double lock their doors. Everybody needs to, you know, get their security cameras. Sure. Um, there and- are a lot of things to be afraid of in the world, and I'm not saying crime's not an issue. But these these really horrific ones that make the biggest headlines are really not a danger to the vast majority. I mean, they're a danger to a very tiny number of people. In the sure. City. And it goes without saying, and this is me editorializing a little bit, that whenever you are showing a blackface, um, you are you are signaling to some very dry kindling there about the way that uh, race relations have been proceeding in this city for 200 no. years ish, you know, and, and, and you're and you're. You're digging into some fairly um, uh, fertile, racialized fear that's already in place, uh, which I think is is productive from a uh, readership or viewership uh, standpoint, but yeah. but you know has a corrosive effect in terms of the way that people relate to one another, neighborhoods relate to one another, so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah, and I would say the only I agree with that wholeheartedly, except I would say that's a completely a national problem. Yeah, I mean, that, that is everywhere. Fair enough. And, and the great example was um, when that horrific – I can't remember the technicalities, but there was the attempted uh, – there was some sort of sexual attempted assault at – was it at Stanford by the swimmer there and the coverage and the judge ultimately threw out the, the, the rape charge or the sexual assault charge. Mm-hmm. Just a drunken woman behind – I mean, just the, the worst of the worst. White victim – white um, um, accused man. And I can't remember how that was settled, whether he was convicted or not. So, so 
So he's accused. The coverage of that in the Washington Post, and I think it was the Washington Post writing about itself or somebody else calling them to task on this. And the Washington Post is one of the great – I mean is back to being one of the great newspapers in the United States. Mm-hmm. Their coverage of, of that guy – constantly mentioned that he was an honor student, that he was a swimmer. <laughs> sure. They had his yearbook photo. Yeah. He's a blonde, great looking, well lit photo. And they lined it up next to, at the same time, the coverage of um, sexual assault accusations, three separate ones that had happened in the DC area, three black faces and a kind of tone, a presumption of guilt mm-hmm. about each of those three black faces and a, and a kind of all the context. There was nothing about this being somebody who was a a great kid in high school who had so much potential. None of that. It was just the kind of bare bones horror and this presumption of guilt. And all three of those people in on the, from the DC area, plus the guy from um, um, those could all be, I'm, I'm fine with them all being horrible people who should go to jail for the rest of their lives. If that's the case, I'm not saying I'm not trying to defend them, but coverage without context and then coverage where you're, you're putting this kind of, um, tone in this overcast onto the particularly African-American faces in those police blotters, again, no context or anything, is is terrible for the conversation about race and sure. and justice in this country. I mean, you're just you're, – you're, you're supporting narratives that are already in place, right? right? You're, right. you're feeding into that kind right. of stuff. So that's that's maybe where you guys have some, some – hopefully some opportunity to – I guess. I mean, I think people appreciate it. Um, you know, we're able to do that because we're a niche. Um, I'm not opposed to, you know, I ever thought if we ever got bigger, you know, we, you know, if there's, there's some way maybe to cover it. There's some way to have sort of, hey, there's a, a rash of, of break-ins in a given neighborhood. People should be aware of that. I mm-hmm. mean, there's, there's some kind of middle of space there, but you've got to do it with more context and you can't just be throwing out there this sort of fear-mongering sense that everyone's at risk yeah. in a given neighborhood because a given um, horrific act happen within most likely a family or between two or three sure. individuals. Sure. And to your earlier point, I mean, that's one of the things that Jeff City is very acutely mindful of is the way that the media coverage does shape policy in a very direct way. And, and it's, it, it sort of goes without saying that so much of what we consider to be the criminal justice system is so political. Uh, the, the DA is elected, the sheriff is elected, uh, most judges are, are elected. Uh, the police director is obviously appointed by the mayor who's elected. And so when it comes to, you know, the, the, the contextual aspects of this, we know that the way um, we've, we've, we've been in uh, legislative committee hearings, for instance, where pieces of uh, news will be held up and pointed at as evidence for some sentencing enhancement or some new yeah. uh, criminal law being being drafted or whatever. Do, what's, what is the sort of fail-safe that you guys have in place to ensure as much uh, uh, truthfulness <laughs> or at least objectivity right. as you can, knowing these implications are sort of possible? Are out there, you know, it's, it's, it's probably disturbingly to people who care as much as you do and others on the outside about how this stuff is approached – it's incredibly subjective and it's really – it is subject to the personalities and the people and the approach. We're a small staff, you know. Like I said, eight people. That includes the reporters, editors, plus me. We've all kind of established a philosophy. There's a lot of feed, you know, feedback on the fly. We've got a story out there and I'll say, hey, you know, we did that. I see why we did that. That's probably not what we want to do again, but you can't retract it. It's in print. It's online. It's just everywhere. Sure. So it's more about talking about those things and sort of – um, having a philosophy and having everybody buy in. And it does worry me if we ever got bigger, you know, would you have people kind of 
particularly experienced journalists who've been at other metro papers, well, this is how you cover crime. That's just mm-hmm. what you do, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it's you have to be pretty vigilant, pretty purposeful, and talk about those issues of balance and fairness and how you're, you know, how you're approaching things. Um, things slip through. I mean, we had I want to say which it wasn't related to criminal justice. We had a we had a sentence go through on a feature story recently that was total. BS. And, it, and I, I, somebody pointed it out to me, somebody who I really respect and who's a, a fan of the paper said, hey, man, how did that happen? And I read it and I was like, oh, we we basically gave a gift to a PR agency in town. And how dare and, you? Uh, how dare us? And uh, it was it was not good. And that happens. Now, no one's gotten hurt by that. This is this was not a, a particularly serious issue. Um, but you just have to stay vigilant about that and you have to listen to readers and you have to have a relationship with your readers out there because particularly in the world of small staffs, um, you know, you, you, you need, you need some trusted readers who can give you feedback that you say, you don't bristle at and say, oh no, you're wrong. You say, well, you know what? That's a great point. Yeah. And, and that's a thing where corporate big Metro papers are getting farther and farther away from that. Gannett being example, but other ones as well, where they've got centralized copy editing, centralized editing mm-hmm. where they're very disconnected. I mean, this feedback came, this won't mean anything to anyone but me and you at the little tea shop downtown, which is a classic old kind of diner of, for lack of a better word. Politicos hang out. Politicos hang out. You can t- lawyers and everything. And somebody reached over and showed me this line in the paper. And that was great that I got that. And I, that will get back to our editors. If you're a, a regional editor based in Omaha, mm-hmm. you know, overseeing copy for, 200, 300 papers, how yeah. does that sort of connection get made? I, I think it does. Sure, because it's not malicious. I mean, that's the thing. No, and no. a lot of what I've seen, um, uh, not even with the commercial appeal, but it's it's the sort of odd um, local references that don't make sense, uh, peculiar ways of referring to neighborhoods, headlines where there's just something about it that's like, this just clearly was not yeah. written by someone who's lived here, has ever been here, you right. know, and that's that's uh, neither here nor there. But um so sort of last question to kind of wrap up. I mean, it sort of asked another way uh, some of the things I was asking earlier. What what do you wish the public knew about your industry that they don't? Or what's the, you know, you guys don't publish a lot of letter, letters to the editor. Um, but I'm sure you get feedback clearly. Yeah, yeah. Constantly. Yeah, we get constant, whether I'm in the little tea shop or on Facebook or, yeah, I mean, we get a lot yeah. of feedback. What's, uh, what's the fight that you find yourself fighting with your readers about, you know? I, I, I would say for us, you know, the, the, it's not even so much a fight. It's just we just – it's hard to cover everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much going on. Um, you know, I also – this isn't exactly what you're asking, but it is – you know, I'll, I get stopped on the street, you know, uh, with people saying, when are you guys going to get bigger? Or when are you guys going to fill the gaps that, that the commercial appeal is uh, – or local metro is, has, has created? I'm sure other people in other cities, this is a dynamic nationwide of, of – the cutbacks in print coverage. Um, I, I always try to say to people, you know, we might do more, mm-hmm. but the era of big city Metro papers is dead. No one's going to come in and replace them. Wow. Jeff, what Jeff Bezos did in with the Washington post is an anomaly. And if you look, is very much about making that another national newspaper. And that's fantastic. Bezos but, being the, the, the CEO of Amazon who, who purchased, if not outright, I mean, certainly a controlling stake yeah. in the Washington post from the right. Graham family and his, right. Right. invested tons right. of resources in a way that is almost certainly not profitable. Yeah. And, and yeah, so the era, you know, we don't do national, we do state politics to the degree that it impacts Memphis. But, you know, the idea that you can get a paper in the morning or the afternoon on your desktop or in your inbox that covers everything from what happened in Syria 
to what happened at city council, to what happened, you know, with your local sports team and your local high school team and, you know, the teacher of the year. And, you know, the, the commercial, that's just not happening again in cities around the country. The commercial appeal used to have, I mean, our editor was at the commercial appeal and this is not atypical for how this worked. They, when he was there seven, when he started there 10 years ago, they had a newsroom over 200. Okay. They peaked. I think the biggest the newsroom was at the commercial appeal was around 250, Mm -hmm. including bureaus in DC and Nashville, the state capital, and then, you know, hooked into the Scripps network. I mean, that's an incredible amount of resources to cover everything that's going on. They now have under 28 in Memphis. Wow. So that's a almost tenth. a tenth yeah. of where they are. And I think most people would say that the cuts aren't over. More yeah. centralization will happen. And that's, again, a national phenomenon. And so people have to be, I would say, change your expectations because we're not going back to newsrooms in cities of 200 plus. Mm-hmm. And then be a more be a be an intelligent consumer. There are papers like the Daily News mm-hmm. in every city around the country, most cities around the country. And you've got to be a smart news consumer where you're looking for different sources, different niche papers, and so on to to get the full spectrum of what's going on in your city. So the future is is maybe more disruptors, smaller papers, niche focus, and 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 you think some sort yeah. of pay for for access model that is emergent. I I mean I I don't I can't prove this, but I don't I think there is no future for the printed word online without paywalls. I mean, there's just the advertising dollars just aren't there. Yeah, and people are going to have to pay for this content at. I'm not saying they got to pay, you know, New York Times is 30 bucks a month. That's a premium, one of, if not the best newspapers in the country. Um, but will people pay five to 10 bucks for their local paper online? Um, you know, I mean, I've got two cappuccinos in front of me. Mm-hmm. I just spent $10 on cappuccino. So, um, you know, would, would I pay, you know, would somebody pay 10 bucks, that same equivalent amount for one month of the daily news? I mean, I think it's, it's worth that. Yeah. But again, we've got this whole generation and this whole, 15-year history of people being trained that they didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. So that, that's the other big one. Uh, last question, just to prognosticate a little bit. You've, you've lived here for 20-plus years. I mean, as we're, we're recording this now in late October of 2017. As you look ahead in the next 12 months, what are the big stories you think you guys are going to be reporting on? Not, not the day-in, day-out stuff. But, I mean, what are the big sort of meta-narratives in Memphis, Shelby County? Um, I, I think, you know, one, we're seeing all this kind of really interesting growth um, in terms of investments that are coming around the corner um, in, you know, areas that were pre- previously blighted or abandoned. We're recording this in this incredible building that's been restored, mm-hmm. 300 whatever it was, million-dollar project, $250 million project. There are a bunch more of those on deck. Mm-hmm. You know, Memphis is is a kind of mid-market city, is a little behind the wave of things that happen in Nashville and Austin and other places. So I think that's going to – there's going to be a lot of coverage of that, that there's a lot in the, in the hopper. Um, I think, um, you know, is there going to be a recession? I mean the, the complete counter to what I just said. I yeah. mean we're on a 10-year run. I mean a lot of people don't feel like we're out of the recession, but statistically and, and all the numbers say we are and that we're kind of nationally overdue for some sort of downturn. Yeah. Um, and so what does that mean when all these kind of good things have happened? But in the case of a lot of cities, we got – 50% there, 75% there, and then we hit a recession. What, what does that look like? Um, and then, you know, the impact of Trump, you know, I mean, we continue to see it here. Um, you know, when, when Trump hires an attorney general back to the Just City kind of issues, like Jeff Sessions, which, who a lot of people think is a great guy, he, a whole lot of change is going to happen in terms some people of do. Some people do. <laughs> um, a small, shrinking number, it seems. Uh, A lot of, you know, you've got U.S. attorneys, you've got federal judges, you've got all this local impact from the president. And and we're starting to see that here. And I'm sure in other cities, people waking up going, wait a second, I thought that 
presidential election didn't impact us locally. Yeah. And I think, again, from criminal justice to, you know, they just rolled back some CFPB, uh, sorry, Consumer, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Dodd-Frank stuff, not to get too in the weeds, but things are getting rolled back that will have impacts on how you and I borrow money yeah. to buy a house down the street. Yeah, yeah. And that is a direct relation to the president. Yeah. Now, as I was looking uh, at, at news this morning to get ready for this, and, and as I'm taping this, there's a story um, – uh, on the Commercial Appeal website about uh, a new MOA between the Memphis Police Department and the Department of Justice, which um, this gets a little technical, but but removes some language around uh, use of force protections and, and certain training protocols that they want to put in place. And not to allege anything unfair about the police department, but it is a, a very direct um, line between the sort of Sessions Justice Department and, and how they choose to want to uh, manage or work with local police departments in a way that's very different from his predecessor. And, and those kind of things, whatever they will lead to, um, are, are, are where organizations like ours and, and I think maybe news organizations like yours uh, struggle to sort of make the case to the public that, no, these, you know, in the yeah. most facile way, elections matter and you may not feel that impact until a good year, 18 months after you've cast your vote. But, yeah. boy, yeah. are they are – they, yeah. Yeah, healthcare. I mean, if they really sure. start cutting all these subsidies, sure. I mean, people you and I know will suddenly not have insurance. And yeah. that's a direct connection to um, uh, a presidential election. And yeah. so I think I think that'll be very interesting over the next couple of years. Maybe it'll be, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be objective because I'm supposed to be a journalist. But, you know, maybe that it'll all just be a boom time and the release of government regulations will – Unleash the tiger that is unfettered capitalism. Did, did you did you buy that? Could did you be. buy that yeah. at all? Did, yeah. I, yeah. did I sell you on that? I, I could tell. You were rolling your eyes and you said that really <laughs> drove the point. I tried. Do you, and I keep saying this, but it, last question: Do you have you felt or have your reporters felt any new animosity from the? Has the tone of the feedback you've received changed or sharpened or gotten more caustic? No, no, and, and probably the exact opposite for us. But again, we're a niche paper um, in which what. We deal more with um, what does the daily news look like in light of a shrinking local metro paper. Mm -hmm. So we look bigger. We look smarter. We look uh, more comprehensive than we are necessarily, you mm -hmm. know. So I think that, that has, that's been our dynamic. I, I think that um, there is the dynamic, though, of people finding alternate means of putting out information. You know, our local mayor puts out that weekly report, which I read every word of. Sure. For the What's it called? The weekly uh, – um, he's got some phrase on for Fred, it, but yeah, yeah. yeah, and much of it written mm -hmm. by a, a reporter you and I know who used to work at the big Metro paper mm -hmm. and it's really very effective mm -hmm. and his social media strategy and his ability to get the word out is very effective. So that's not so much a hostility to what we do, but when you get more and more news released and shaped by the news maker, mm -hmm. um, that's not a, I think that somehow Mayor Jim Strickland of Memphis is doing something, you know, terrible, but you need the press and you need this kind of watchdog on it. And they have so many means now politicians, our local city council has its own kind of Twitter feed yeah. and email stream and Facebook presence. Um, it, that's probably the more concerning thing. So mm -hmm. it's not that they want to, they're dismissive of us. It's not that they are hostile to us. They just have these means of putting out their own message. And I think that's probably the biggest concerning dynamic I have with politicians and people in power. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's certainly a trade-off because they, they would say, and justifiably so, that they're doing what they're doing in the interest of transparency. And, and right. there is a, an availability of government now right. uh, that, that didn't even exist, you know, five years ago. 
Right. And, and there's always been, you know, this kind of quid pro quo relationship between, between politicians and the business community and the local metro paper. Mm-hmm. So that we as the local, you know, the local paper is going to cover when you make a misstep, when you do something you shouldn't do, but also when you announce the new jobs program and when you announce the new uh, a city beautification project or you're a business and you announce we've got a new senior vice president of marketing and the newspaper says, yeah, 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 we'll get, we'll get a nice photo and a nice profile of, of you know, Jennifer Smith on the cover of the paper but we're still going to come after you next week. Sure. There's been this kind of this kind of nod-wink relationship of good and bad between powerful institutions like government and business. Well, now you've got it. That that was easier to do when you were a Metro paper with 250 reporters. Mm-hmm. You could take the new reporter who's green and say, "Yeah, you're doing the profile." And it's, yeah. I'm not saying that's. I don't mean that cynically. There's, those people like that stuff. It's interesting. So XYZ company has a new marketing director. It's a worthwhile story. Then you've got your more experienced person who's going after that company and saying, wait, they're dumping stuff behind the building or they're, you know, violating permits. Yeah. But again, you get down to a newsroom the tenth of that size. Yeah. Which side of that quid pro quo, that kind of relationship are you actually pursuing? Yeah. You're probably not pursuing enough of either of it. And so these and back to what they're doing, these companies and these political institutions say, well, we'll just we'll get the profiles out there on their own. But they're not putting out, oh, and by the way, we're really sorry for dumping all that stuff sure. back behind the building. Sure, sure. And I, so. and I say this with, with an immense amount of affection and respect for the investigative reporters that are at the Commercial Appeal and all, and all publications. But, but that is, uh, from a pure business standpoint, a, a woefully inefficient uh, business line to keep supported because investigative journalism takes months and a lot of blind alleys and rabbit holes. And it is a, it is from an, right. from an ROI quote unquote standpoint, it is, uh, incredibly unproductive. <laughs> and we, and it's why we do a, a approximately zero. Of it. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I've got my, my folks have to have a story, if not two stories a day, a story and a digest item. And they're also looking forward to some feature stories that they've got to do that are longer form. And, you know, that's probably one thing, one of the pieces of feedback I get, often is from people saying, hey, how come you're not digging into X, Y, and Z thing that I hear is happening? Sure. I, I can't stop the train. Sure. We're, we're six days a week, essentially, sure. plus updates all day long. I can't stop the train and do investigative stuff. And that, yeah. that's a hugely disappointing thing to say, but it is the truth. Yeah. And, and it is the thing that's getting cut back at the Metro Papers and at other places. Um, and that's very disconcerting. Yeah. Well, we will leave it on that uh, cheerful note. Uh, Eric Barnes has been my guest uh, from the Memphis Daily News. Uh, He also hosts uh, Behind the Headlines on WKNO-TV. Eric, thanks so much for being on The Permanent Record. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Eric Barnes, publisher and CEO of the Memphis Daily News and host of WKNO-TV's Behind the Headlines, In Conversation and on The Permanent Record. Our thanks to Eric and his team at the Memphis Daily News, which is available throughout Shelby County and online at memphisdailynews.com. Special thanks to Jeff Hewlett for She Got Gone, original theme music for the permanent record. His duo, me and Leah, have a new record out. Find it on SoundCloud and Spotify and look for them live around town. I'm Carrie Hayes and this is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work at justcity.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening and hope that you'll give us a rating. In a Just City, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both.